Hey, Chewable Pod fans, this is David Handel, and I just wanted to come on here real quick right before the episode just to clear some things up. The first half of the episode is going to be me and Shane recapping last week's games and, you know, talking our talk, and the second half is going to be Eric's conversation with Steve Kaplowitz um, about the FAU UTEP, so just wanted to clear things up just in case people were confused when we intro saying Eric's not here today, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, you get the gist of it. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shula Bowl podcast. It's Shane Marinelli here along with the co-host today, David Handel. Eric's schedule got a little tight, uh, so he is unable to... uh, record with us today but david and i will handle it um i guess david we could actually you know we'll just start quickly with fau with their big win on thursday um big road win you know i, I tip it was just a very typical fau game as david says the best bet in all of sports right now is any fau second half bet <laughs> right like you know fau down. Nine seven only had three possessions in the first half of that game, uh, you know, and just were able to kind of explode and impose their will on uh, on on Charlotte. And honestly, when we look back at it, it might be one of the greatest days in kind of FAU athletics history so far. Um, you know, just because a few hours before that, you know, it was all official. If he's officially going to the American Conference, um, with along with five other teams with com- you know from Conference USA, uh, it, I could tell for anyone that was FAU media that day, hats off to everyone. We had a busy day, about three, but four press conferences, I think, or three press conferences that day. Um, but yeah, I mean, FAU now will have a huge uh, game coming up against UTEP here. David, did you get a chance? Did you watch the FAU game? I did. I I was able to watch most of it. Um, I mean, the second half was an absolute (laughs) bloodbath. Uh, And what was crazy to me too was like, like Nikosi Perry only like had like eleven passing attempts, (laughs) which is like when you look back at it, I didn't realize like how little he threw and or how little he even needed to throw. He didn't realize it either. Yeah. Uh, If (laughs) um, if you anyone watched the little post game side interviews, the announcers like. How many passes do you think you threw today? And Nikosi was like, oh, like 20, 23 or something like that. And he's like 11. Um, I think FAU wants to win that way every week. They want to run the ball, run the ball, and, you know, hit people deep with play action. Um, it's kind of like I said, you know, why they've lost UAB, who, you know, a team, you know, who lost to Rice yesterday. I think they're better than FAU can't play from behind. All right. Um, FAU just cannot play from behind right now. Um, and their team's just not designed in front of it. And when I say behind, not like a touchdown behind or, you know, a field goal, I'm talking when they get down, you know, a couple of scores and they start to try and force the issue. So yeah, uh, it, it, it you know, it was, it was, you know, FAU is a more talented team than Charlotte. Um, they're really well coached though. Healy gets the most out of that team. And, but just to get a win on the road. It was just it, FAU needed it. Um, a loss there, there would have been 
quite a bit of negative negativity starting to pop up from um fe's road record yeah and shane i mean i know there's i guess there's not really much more to like talk about this game because i mean it was an absolute like routing in the second half but i do want to get your thoughts on just because like the last time you and eric recorded was before all the news like came out that it was actually official yet like how how are you feeling now that it's official and like you know what's FAU's outlook like going forward? Because this you AAC play like like FAU to the AAC doesn't start till twenty twenty three, right? Or is it next season? Twenty twenty three. Got it. Got it, guys. So yeah. how are you feeling? It's awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I think I think you know, in a lot of people, so you already see some of the negativity and you see some of the salty. Um, other old conferences, you know, programs that have been around for a hundred years and are still the same. You see some of their reporters to be a little extra salty this week. (laughs) Um, But, you know, if I was part, you know, if I had to cover an institution that hasn't really grown in 40 years, I guess I'd be kind of salty as well. Uh, But, you know, you know, a lot of people are kind of, oh, it's just conference USA 4.0. Well, maybe a little bit in development, but to me, and, and I made this analogy on the Alice Twenty Four Seven podcast. It's like it, first they are joining some really good programs. ECU, uh, you know, huge fan base. I think you know FAU being able to play USF every year is really good. Tulane, obviously, good. You know, fun road trip, right, David? Oh yeah, it is. That is, <laughs> that's that's a must do. Like the first. Yes. You know, uh, ignoring the, the the result of what happened at FIU when we went up there, it was an awesome an awesome away game. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's that programs like SMU, um, you know, are in it, and I and I think it's just a good spot. And I think let's just be real here. Mike Resco is a really good conference commissioner. He's someone who's worked with ESPN. I know people are like, "Oh, that TV deal money is going to get smaller." Maybe it does get smaller, but like literally. It, it, Right now, FAU gets anywhere from four to five hundred thousand FAU and FIU from TV money. If the New Deal, and this is just hypothetical, it, it would have to be cut t- like fourteen hundred percent in order for it to be less than what FAU gets now. So there's no way it goes under that. So FAU is going to come out making more in this, and also, you know what? FAU's huge home game versus Marshall in a couple weeks is is going to be on CBS Sports Facebook. <laughs> no more of that. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, let's get some games on the ESPNU at least, right? And I think that national, you know, I think that national, uh, you know, being nationally helps increase attendance and all that and fan interest. So, um. You know, it makes it feel like your program is only continuing to grow and it feels good. Yeah, well, I'm glad at least one of us is having a good time. Well, <laughs> <Because>. I mean, <laughs> when Tarleton, when Tarleton, did I, did, I, I, I really need Eric here. Tarleton State um, comes to FIU in a few years, <laughs> um, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I was saying this to someone the other day, this easily could have been switched. You know, there was a point where FIU had Cristobal, FAU was like at the end of Howard 
soccer in the first year Pelini. The stadium wasn't built yet. No Schmidt Center. I mean, the pro in FIU had an on-campus stadium. The programs were in two complete opposite positions of where they are now. And since then, they have flipped. And I guess we can kind of transition it. But, I mean, one program's committed, been committed to building, and the other one simply hasn't. And it's only led to where they are now. And, you know, it's also another point. Um, one of the programs has a competent AD, um, which is, you know, sick. I mean, Pete, I mean, Pete is, is I'm, I'm crossing my fingers uh, that he's not being renewed. I mean, it would be the most ludicrous thing if somehow this dude gets renewed. But what's crazy is that when he took over the program, it's almost, what, 15, 16 years ago now. And um, at that time, we had just, I think he took over the year we just became division one we FBS, were in, yeah yeah we were just fbs and and ju- we were independent that season and he might leave us as us going independent and people talking about fcs which is absolutely wild uh it just shows that like my god has he really truly run this program to like the like the ground but like like obviously he you know Granted, he he hired Mario, he hired Butch. Both of them obviously had had great tenures. There, there just seems like no matter how high the FIU, like the no matter how high the highs are, we always come crashing down. And it's just like we can't, we refuse to build on any type of momentum. You know, we have the Mario years. We have Ty Hilton. We start having some, you know, some packed games. We start going. We start winning some bowl games, and boom, Mario has one bad season. He's gone. Then we have four years of, 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 you know, Ron Turner, awful. Then we get Butch. You know, we have a few bowl game wins. We, we, we come off the biggest win in program history against Miami. And then, boom, straight back to the ground we go. We cannot build on any type of momentum. And it just sucks. Like, it, it, it's honestly, it's, it's the worst. Because you, you, can't, you get your hopes up, and then they just come crashing down. And it's now been like that for – you know, not only six, the six, yeah, for, honestly, now for the 16, 16 years of this guy's tenure as AD, and the fact that he's even made it this long is almost impressive. Um, so there's that. Yeah, and I don't even think you know. I think when you're an AD of a program like FAU or FIU, you have to just be on the ground grinding, fundraising. I mean, you look at some of the fundraising numbers FAU's put up the last couple of years under Brian White and his team. You know, it, it, they're up like 147% or something like that. You know, every dollar matters. And, and, and it's a commitment from the top, right? And, you, you know, there was that report that, um, you know, some schools just didn't want to commit to the things that the AAC was demanding. You know, do you plan on growing here? Do you plan on growing there? Um, you know, do you, are you willing to go into debt? or take out loans in order to grow your athletic department. And some schools are willing to do that. And I think it's one of those things. It's like, you better grow or die type thing. There is no staying stagnant, you know, because everything around you is going to evaporate. And David, there's still more dominoes. I mean, essentially the conference USA is the Titanic right now. Uh, 
FIU is Jack shivering in the water. <laughs> um, we'll, maybe we'll call like Western Kentucky Rose. You know, she's just on the board floating. Um, but even and, they're even they're leaving, right? Aren't they going? Aren't they going somewhere or Mac or something? No, no. Well, there's rumors about Middle Tennessee. The Mac hasn't really said anything about growing yet. We will see. Um, but man, it's. I mean, the fact that the Sun Belt took, is probably going to, you know, it took Southern this Old Dominion and probably James Madison. I mean, that's a blow. I mean, if if I'm conferentious at that point, I start going, hit up Liberty, you hit up some HBCUs, um, you know, maybe, yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's it's really bleak at this point. Um, I'm never in favor of teams going independent. But man, uh, I mean, could FIU go down that road? I mean, it would be really tough for all the other sports. Um, FIU is kind of isolated geography wise. You know, you're not kind of like in the middle of the South surrounded by a bunch of schools. So that that's pretty much off the table. Yeah. I mean, I would just stay put, have them add some schools. And at that point you could be like, okay, well, at least we're one of the more established programs in this group of schools and just simply get back to winning. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, what, let's just say hypothetically FIU does go independent. Like what's the best case scenario there? Cause like it's, it's not like They're going independent is, so let me explain to people what going independent means. Okay. First of all, you lose any chance you have um, basketball wise as an automatic qualifier. Okay. That's a big one. So, you know, a lot of the, the group that your mid majors, you know, if you win the conference USA tournament, you automatically qualify. That is gone. So now you're expecting FIU basketball to actually put together like uh, a real like resume that would get them uh, um, a bid. You know what I mean? Kind of like, which would be impossible. Okay. It would create, you know, people always talk about the football scheduling of it. Okay. That's stage, but, you, you know, you got to remember when you go independent, it's volleyball, it's, it's, um, you know, uh, baseball, all this stuff, creating the schedules, the travel, it's crazy, especially when conference play starts and all the other schools are in conference play, you're searching for games. Another thing with independent, people are like, well, BYU and, uh, you know, Liberty and those schools. So first of all, Liberty's been trying to get into a conference. Okay. Liberty also has a ton of money. BYU has its own network. Mm-hmm. Um, when Army, yes, you know, you got to remember, they have the entire Mormon religious religion behind it. So they have their own TV network to air their games, right? And they're also a big enough brand where they're going to get most games on ESPN. Uh, Notre Dame, obviously, deal with NBC. Um, if you go independent, you do not have a TV contract. You pretty much have to produce and sell your own games. And when you're a product like FIU, um, you can only compare it to New Mexico State. You end up playing on like an online streaming service that's like $4.99 a month that also airs high school games. That's what it means to go independent. That's why I, I sometimes I don't think people fully understand what going independent means. All, you also have no uh, bowl game. Um, 
you know, uh, like your your contract at bowl games. So you would have to go contract those yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's we're, we're going to be seeing if FIU goes on independent. It's going to be FIU versus FCS East on Pornhub. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Honestly, that might get more viewers than Facebook <laughs> at this point, though. I mean. At least if the game's not going well, you can just click right over, right? <laughs> like, oh, I'm already here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it, – um, I, I did see, though, I mean, what, what was kind of the atmosphere like at the game? Was there uh, uh, any signs or anything? The Section 112 crew, they uh, throw in tomatoes yeah. at uh, – at, at, uh, at Pete's uh, suite there. Yeah. Well, so there actually were a good amount of people there. <laughs> they, people made fire Pete Garcia shirts and they made them neon, uh, like neon yellow to make sure that they're easily spottable. <laughs> if, if uh, they were, they were to be seen. And um, I think it was a good, a good amount of people. I don't know. I know the the 112 guys posted it. I don't know who exactly like, you know, went out and bought and, and sold the fire Pete Garcia shirts. Um, but yeah, you definitely saw that. And, and so like, actually this game had a, a decent turnout, like way more than I thought it was going to be for a team that's one in five. Um, so, so I guess, you know, hopefully a lot, a lot more people than usual would have seen the fire Pete Garcia shirts. Um, uh, but it, it, it was, it was good. Uh, if you haven't seen them, I'll send you a picture on Twitter of, of um no i know please tweet those i've not seen them yet <laughs> all right yeah, yeah I'll, I'll i'll tweet them out um but yeah so so people are, are getting fed up and it, it and it's it's you know it's good to see because after the mario firing I, i've said this before on this pod right the mario firing was kind of a, a of a split um like on, on some of the fan base because some there there's a there's a, a fan a part of the fan base that that did not like mario um, and they were, you know, totally fine with him leaving. Um, but now it's, it's like, you know, people who weren't on the fire P Garcia train at the time are now on the fi- fire P Garcia train and it seems to be more universal. Um, so hopefully, you know, that's, that's being seen by, you know, those who need to see it. And, and yeah, man, I mean, the, the only thing that scares me is that he because his contract ends i believe at the end of this year like june um or like that time and so like if if we if we're hiring a new coach like i don't want him involved but he might be involved because that they're not gonna wait until no ad yeah he, he has to be fired um at football season because you want your next ad to hire your football coach yes exactly um, and, and just to the point, right? Butch Butch is in the last year of his deal, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Butch, is, well, okay. In the last last year of his deal, and I mean, it's looking like he's not coming back. So, yeah, it looks like we're going to be looking to hire someone this this season. And I do not want this guy's hands anywhere near uh, this. So, you know, hopefully there is a firing, but let let's see what happens because. I mean, people are, are fed up and, and, you know, and I think, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the people at the top are, are, are taking notice at least. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like the writings on the wall, the, their contracts have not been extended yet. 
Well, if I'm not, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong here, but I I I could have sworn. I thought Pete's contract ended last year, and I don't know if he got a one year extension because of COVID, um, because of the COVID thing. But but yes, there hasn't been any long extensions, so that is that does look like a positive sign for that at least. And whoever gets that job, man, do they have a job to do? Mm-hmm. That's I mean that's. It's it's going to be a complete, you know, at least the football program is going to be a complete, complete rebuild. I mean, this is this is going to be this is going to be a tough job for anybody who they who they bring in, because um, like you know, obviously some of the other like I mean, our soccer team's you know doing really well. Our basketball team is kind of inconsistent. Had a bad season last year, but at least you know I, I do like their head coach. Uh, baseball's, you know, they just signed uh, Mr. Marlin, you know, so that's 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 cool going forward. But the biggest rebuild by far is going to be football. I mean, like that they whoever yeah, but, they're bringing in has uh, got a lot to do. I think at this point, again, like I said, I think there is some like you know FIU now becomes kind of the older, probably the more veteran dog in what's left in this conference. And I think no matter what the conference looks like just get back to winning seasons, right? Like just, you know, you know, um, and that's it, you know, just get back to winning seasons. I I do want to point out though, um, I forgot about to say this earlier, Brian White did say on the podcast that he spoke to, uh, I mean, on the podcast, uh, in his, in in the initial press conference, two press conference, he says that he spoke to Pete and I mean, not that, you know, as we just said, we're, entirely confident in Pete's position that they do want to continue the rivalry game. At least FAU does. And I am very, very pro continuing it. And and I'll explain to you why, um, at least from, you know, I think traditions and rivalries are good. The two schools are too close. And, you know, the way FAU kind of schedules it, you know, if FAU chooses not to continue in it, they're not getting games that are going to be that much better or even better at all. You know, you'd be, you know, essentially FAU plays one money game away, like the Florida game. They usually play one FCS game at home, um, you know, like we did in Fordham this year. And then usually it's one G5 opponent away and one G5 opponent home. FAU, I mean, FIU should be one of those rotating schools. You know, it's the one game we play for an actual trophy. So, I strongly think it should continue. And, you know, if it gets on right now, I don't know if it can continue in 2023. I think FAU needs a home game for to complete its out-of-conference. Maybe they'll fill it with FIU. Or maybe, um, you know, it skips a year, right? I, and then um, it will just pick up again in um, 2024 or something like that. I, yeah, I mean, it's obviously, you know, I, I definitely want to keep the rivalry going. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, I mean, I mean, it's as, as, as not fun as it's been, it's still, you know, it's, 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 it's obviously cool to just be a part of and, and just like, you know, it, it, this, this podcast, um, you know, has, we might, if, if it doesn't continue, we'd either have to change our names or who knows what happens. But um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think it, I think it should keep going. Hopefully it does. And actually, I, I do want to ask, is UCF and USF going to continue theirs? Or because, I mean, obviously, because UCF's going to the Big 12. Um, are they, are they I planning? I don't know yet. 
Because they're like, obviously, it's a similar situation. Yeah. Um, I do not know yet. I, again, I'm just, I'm very in favor. I think schools, in-state schools need to play each other. It's good for fan bases. It's good for programs. It's kind of what college football is about. I, I, it, to me, it's just, it's silly for FAU to, you know, to play a Buffalo at home when that game could have been FIU. Yeah. You know, what are they getting more out of playing a Mac school or some random Sunbelt school? You know, I see, F, you know, FAU fans say, oh, we'll play App States and all these schools. I'm like, okay, well, we're not playing them every year. And the way FAU scheduling is, it still allows for, you know, room to play those, you know, schools as well. So, you know, I, I think it's silly anytime programs, you know, throw away a rivalry game. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> who, do, who does FIU got next? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, we, we, we've got an easy one next week at home against Marshall. <laughs> you know what? That's a game FIU can win. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, listen, I, I picked I picked FIU to, to win in my preseason rankings, but I also my preseason predictions, but I also picked uh, four other victories. So, um, yeah, I I mean, Marsh, Marshall hasn't looked dominant, but like, you know, I, 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 I how can I expect anything from FIU at this point? Like, it's just like I'm fully expecting the loss like and, and, and I know we, we didn't really talk about it too much, but um, I mean, the, what, this Western game, I mean, it, it was a game for the first half. Um, you know, we were ba- able to contain Bailey Zappi to an extent. Um, you know, you take away that like bomb touchdown with like nine seconds left and a half. I mean, we're, we're going up with a lead at halftime, but, but yeah, I just like, I, I don't, I don't know what, what, what to expect week after week. And, and, I, I just want – I want to see – at this point, I want to see guys like Grayson James play. I want to see, you know, some sort of like like fun trickery at least like to, 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 to show that, that um, you know, we're still, you know, fighting at, at, and like just like actually trying to be, be like competitive, like going for it, uh, you know, more often. And, and, and it's just like – I just don't know if we're going to see that next week. It's we're going to stick to our game plan and, and it's going to be the same game plan that we've had for seven straight games that were one and six. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't expect much, but, but um, who, who, who does FAU play? Who, who are they beating this week? FAU has a big game versus the six in one UTEP minors. That's a good game. Um, it there's a lot in Texas. It's at home. There's lots of talk of UTEP if FAU wins, um, getting college game day in the next week when they play UTSA. So FAU is here to ruin that for them. FAU opens at 14 point favorites at wow. home. Yes. Well, if you look at you who UTEP has played, you would see why. Got it. So wow, I that. 40 points. Wow. I didn't, I didn't expect that one, but, um, damn. Okay. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I caught, I'm kind of down for game day though. At UTSA, Utah. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, but, 
uh, a win here would be huge. FAU has two home games coming up, UTEP and Marshall, that, uh, you know, maybe two, you, you, that could really decide the season. So, you know, hopefully FAU takes care of them and we can get right back into Conference USA title. You guys, you guys play Western at all? You guys play them later, right? Yes. Yes. And I will actually be attending that game in um, Bowling Green. Oh, nice. You don't have a wedding? No, no, no. <laughs> I used my one, my, one, my one fall wedding card for a decade. Yeah. <laughs> I'm allowed one, so I used it. Nice, 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 nice. Well, yeah, I mean, besides... Besides that, I mean, there's just unless unless you want to talk about our our, our combined um, sadness of the fans. Oh, actually, you know what I do want to talk about for at least two minutes is one of the Panthers are giving me any type of joy this season. It's the Ice Cats, baby. Something that me and you can both cheer and go against Eric. The Ice Cats are yes. four and zero or five? Are they five five and zero now? Right? Five and zero. Um, yeah, so the only thing that doesn't bring me consistent pain. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's all I've got. Like that at this point, my 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 mental state is all riding on the ice cats. And we definitely got we definitely gotta go to one of the games this season. We gotta do another one. I know Eric put it out there. I think I forgot when I think they're here in December, the, the lightning, so we can spank them again. But yeah, and this time we got we gotta pull Eric's jersey over his head. You know, get in, get you know, get some body shots in. Um, you know, dump a beer on him and run away. Yeah, <laughs> I'm down. I'm down. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully, you know what I, I would. You know, like I said, I, I think FIU could maybe upset Marshall. Like I said, FIU is a huge game this week, and uh, maybe there'll be some good news finally coming the Panthers' way this in the next week yeah i mean hopefully not going to be expecting it but if it does come i will still be very happy yep and uh guys as we close out here don't forget to follow five reasons sports on all the uh platforms if you want to follow the panthers uh definitely follow um five reasons and the fifth line crew who i help out with every once in a while so um, you know, you know, the, the, the good, you know, five reasons covers all the sports down here and just doesn't have 90 writers dedicated to reporting how bad the dolphins are. So, um, yeah, but with that being said, um, we will talk to you guys next time. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this is not over. Here's Eric's conversation with Steve Kaplowitz about the FAU UTEP game. Good evening. Welcome back to another episode of the Shula Bowl podcast. As always, we're brought to you by the fine folks. Five Reasons Sports, your home for South Florida sports news. Eric Henry, Underdog Dynasty co-managing editor, FIU, beat writer for SB Nation. All geared up. Uh, apologies, I could not make the um, initial episode with, of course, the full house, Shane Marinelli, the uh, publisher of FAU Owls 247 and our resident FIU superfan, David Handel, but I'm making it up in large and in, in a large fashion, I guess I'd say in a large way, a huge way. Uh, couldn't figure out which verb I want to use there. But for the FAU fans, I'm bringing to you a, a special guest with the big time matchup in Boca Raton coming up on Saturday. Of course, 
big game for FAU as they are looking to really kind of get in the thick of things in the CUSA East race. And got a good buddy of mine. He is coming to us live from El Paso. He is the host of Sports Talk on 600 ESPN El Paso. That show can be heard Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 Mountain Time. He's Brooklyn-born, but El Paso race. So of course, you got to ask him about that. Uh, the one and only, Mr. Steve Kapowitz. Steve, how's it going, my man? Eric, doing well. Thanks for having me tonight. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, not a problem. Not a problem. You know, if I'm gonna to bring our listeners in here, Steve and I uh, regularly chop it up about all things Conference USA. We're hoping to bring a little bit of that magic to the podcast here, but in specificity, we'll kind of get into the UTEP FAU matchup here. And want to start when you take a look at this UTEP team, they are six and one. Surprisingly, some might say. I know I was high on them entering the year. Did not necessarily think they'd be six and one. I thought maybe they were a year away from really being where they are right now uh just want to ask you this Stephen. in your own words what's kind of changed under dana dimmel that's led to success i think what's happened more than anything else is uh the team started winning early and started believing in themselves and uh, didn't let a hiccup along the way against boise state derail them and since then uh, they've been on fire i mean the great defense um an offense that's putting points on the board and ultimately, right now, I think a team that's just growing more confident every single game. You know what? It's interesting you mentioned in terms of the growing confidence, and that kind of is a really smooth transition to my next question. As someone who covers FIU, obviously, they're not performing well over really the past two and a half years. But one of the things that the Panthers were able to do when they had success was – they were always kind of that team that snuck up on you in the years that they went to bowl games. Not, mu- not much was expected of them. But the flip side of that is when they had expectations, we've seen what's happened over the past two years. Want to transition that question to the minors. What's kind of the feeling coming out of, you know, um, uh, camp there, our practice in terms of them handling success? I mean, it's been a long time since this team has been a, a winning program. They haven't qualified for a bowl since twenty. 20- 14 how are the players kind of handling the newfound success and and something we'll talk about after this the potentiality of some national spotlight come for the next few weeks they're not phased i mean that's the thing i talk to everybody on this team right now whether it's gavin hardison their starting quarterback praise amay who lay their uh their best defensive player and other guys they're not phased at all they it's interesting when you talk to them it's they expected this this is what they bought into during the summer when they started working out and putting in the time, they believed this was the end result. And right now, just because they're bowl eligible doesn't mean at all that suddenly they think that their season's over. Quite the opposite. Um, they think now that this team can keep winning games, contend for a Conference USA championship, and uh, go out and win a bowl. And that's what they want right now. I mean, they want to, um, you know, they want to win Conference USA. They're not satisfied with just a six and one start and being really one of the surprise stories of conference USA. As you mentioned, the six and one start for FAU fans who may not be uh, initiated or for the uninitiated, I should say in terms of uh, UTEP football, go ahead and run down the schedule here. They opened up with a 30 to three win against New Mexico state 38, 28 win against the uh, fighting wildcats of Bethune Cookman in the program. We know here in the sunshine state, really solid HBU HBCU team. Took a tough loss to Boise State, which would be expected in week three, uh, 54-13. And since then, they've won four straight, being New Mexico, ODU, Southern Miss, in the game that I think for most, um, I wouldn't even say casual CUSA observers, but for most 
you know, really hardcore CUSA fans, a game that they really had an eye on in terms of could they beat a Louisiana Tech team that for the better part of the past decade, at least during Skip Holtz's tenure, has been, you know, a, a contender in CUSA West. And they did so decidedly 19-3. And anyone who watched that game can make the argument that UTEP left points on the board there. So right. now they uh, now they make the uh, the trek out east, Steve, an uh, 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 area of the country that UTEP has not won. I believe they're 0-25-1 on the east coast. But want to ask you this, a guy you mentioned in praise Amehule. He has been one of the best defensive players, really one of the best players in Conference USA for the better part of the past few years now. I think he's just really earning the, the recognition that he deserves with UTEP's wins. He's got 25 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. Uh, just talk a little bit about praise and you know what he kind of brings to the defense. Well, he brings a high energy, high motor, loves to, you know, he's a talker and he plays, uh, leaves everything on the field. But you can sense he's also the kind of guy that players feed off of just because of his personality. He is just, I, I mean, uh, a huge individual, not just by stature, but uh, just, you know, he's, he's outgoing. He loves to talk, very polite, addresses everybody by their first name and is respectful. And um, I, I'm just impressed with how he gets through and, and how he's able to deliver pressure on the opposing quarterback and wreck havoc in the backfield. I mean, and he's not alone. Jadrian Taylor has come alive also. And he, you know, had uh, three and a half sacks in the last game, was named uh, Defensive Player of the Week for Conference USA, not this week, but the week before. There's other guys that are following Praise's lead, but we all knew about Praise. Uh, last year when he came through and was just uh, make, you know, on, on a three-win UTEP team, he was the highlight of their season defensively. And now you know, he's still delivering, but there are other guys that are doing it. And I'll tell you something else, yeah, Eric, that's really been so big for Dana Dimmel. Junior college recruiting, if you look at the roster, there are so many JUCO guys on this UTEP team, which obviously uh, Dimmel knows Juco from his Kansas State days when he spent so many years working under Bill Snyder, but they're hitting on every Juco they recruit. And that's what's so amazing to me is that when you go on their starting lineup and their duty, it's still the Juco's everywhere. And these are guys that are not, you know, players that are needing time to adjust. They came right in and delivered immediately. And one of the things Dana Dimmel pointed out to us was, well, everybody's going after the Division One portal and how big the transfer portal was getting in football, he said it opened the door to better JUCO talent that they were getting because uh, some teams were just not addressing junior college like they normally do. And, you know, one of the reasons why I think UTEP's having such a great breakthrough season is that they have been delivering on, on junior college talent. Now, Praise was not JUCO, but Keenan Stewart is JUCO, Jadrian Taylor's JUCO, and you go up and down the list, and there's a ton of guys, uh, whether it's, you know, Justin Garrett and what he's been able to do uh, as wide receiver. And, and I mean, it's amazing to see how well UTEP has done in that uh, in, in junior college town. Steve, I'm really glad you mentioned that. That actually was on my list of questions to ask. You touched on a lot of it there, but I'm going to kind of position the question this way. And for anyone who has not checked out Steve's work, again, you can find it at ESPN uh, 600 out there in El Paso, the website there. Um, he's done a lot of great writing. And one of the things that I noted that, that you noted was in terms of Dana Dimmel, his five-year plan. And I want to yeah. position the, the JUCO question this way. When you rewind back to when Dana Dimmel took this job, Steve, was it apparent to you that more than anything else, 
they just needed an infusion of talent of guys who could step in and play immediately as opposed to maybe kind of trying to build up the the resources through high school. Was it that apparent that they just look, you know, it, it, it may be a few years and we'll try to do the best we can in terms of uh, hitting on some guys out of high school. Also, they have with Deion Hankins and others, but we just need bodies who can step in and, and make us competitive immediately. We got to remember before Dimmel arrived, you know, when Sean Kugler was here, you still had Aaron Jones running the football and, you know, they were bowl eligible in 2014 and went to the New Mexico bowl in the following year with all the injuries, they were one field goal away from being six and six and being back in a bowl game. It's amazing how quickly things dropped off the last couple of years that, uh, that Kugler was here and when Dimble took over the program, there really was not a lot of talent on that roster. And you could say that ultimately, you know, UTEP football was, was at rock bottom. I mean, winless the year before, one win his first season, um, you know, one win his second year, and then three wins last year during COVID. And although he preached a five-year plan, there was a lot of people that were thinking that uh, Dana Dimmel would be out of a job after this year and UTEP could, might, might have to go buy him out of his last contract year because they just didn't see this coming. I don't think anybody really saw this coming. The players might have. Um, as far as members of the media go, I called this a 7-5 season just because their schedule really lined up to be favorable with, with their opponents that you know, were as winnable as it ever gets for UTEP. But that was considered overly optimistic uh, back in August. Nobody really thought this could be a seven or, or, or better win team. They all looked at it as a, as a four or five or six win team. So, you know, Eric, getting back to your question, um, I think that ultimately he's built it both ways. I mean, Jacob Cowing is a great example of that, the best receiver in the league. And yet, you know what, they, they grabbed him at a high school in Arizona and all he's done is, is blossom into one of the, the best game breakers that the that USA has right now. Um, Gavin Hardison. Yeah, they got him from the Mexico Military Institute, but really he had no offers out of Hobbs. No offers. In fact, uh, told me this week that, you know, UTEP was one of the only schools looking at him. And, you know, he's been in, firmly entrenched as their starting quarterback the last couple of seasons. Uh, so I think the junior college talent helped solidify positions of weakness and of need, but they're they're, they're playing so good along with the high school players they've recruited. It's just a really nice mix. It's a mix that's winning now, but ultimately kind of setting them up to be hopefully uh, making this not a, a one-off and, and just a one-year deal winning here for the future. Steve, you mentioned Gavin Hardison again. Talk about a great story. Kind of one of those stories that you'll see at this level of football, as you mentioned, coming out of New, Me- New Mexico Military Institute, but out of Hobbs, New Mexico, um, as mentioned, didn't have any offers and really UTEP being his only option to play FBS football. When you look at his numbers, and this is something that as someone who covers Conference USA, I don't want to say I've been hard on Gavin Hardison, but I've always felt that if he can put it to you this way, if you go back and you look at teams who've won this league, like UAB and FAU, when they've had game managers, guys like A.J. Erdley and others, you can win a league that way. But it also makes a big difference if you've got a guy like a Chris Robinson who you can you know, strap it up to his right shoulder and really get the job done. We look at Gavin Hardison's numbers, completing just a shade over 57% of his passes, eight touchdowns, seven interceptions. I've always felt that if he can take that next step and be in, you know, part of that upper echelon of CSA quarterbacks, I'd go a long way to UTEP success. 
I don't know if he's necessarily quite there yet, but for FAU fans, just wonder if you could kind of break down Gavin Hardison a little bit and uh, what kind of your thoughts are as far as his progression. Strongest arm I've ever seen at UTEP. And they've had some good quarterbacks over the years. Jordan Palmer comes to mind, Trevor Vitito. Uh, but Gavin's arm is unbelievable. I mean, here's the thing about Hardison, okay? And that is he has two main weapons to throw the ball to in Garrett and also in Cowing. But what often happens is, is that when he takes the minors into the red zone, they'll run the ball and they'll put the ball in the end zone running the football. Do I think Gavin Hardison is capable of another 10 touchdowns right now if they put the ball in the air? Absolutely. But with offense like UTEP has, which is a balanced run-pass offense, and Dana Dimmel and you know how he's always preached the run, a lot of the touchdowns that you would normally expect from Hardison um, are, are instead given to the run game. So it's difficult because he'll complete a long pass, and at times it looks like the pass defense cannot stop him but then they'll immediately abandon the pass, go to the run, which is successful, and Hardison's numbers don't look nearly as impressive as they could. So it's interesting. He still continues to make the mistakes at times and makes and, and throws interceptions on passes he probably shouldn't throw, maybe because his arm is so strong he feels he can force balls in sometimes where they shouldn't be thrown. But I absolutely believe that there are plenty of opportunities this season where when Hardison is on, you wish UTEP would just continue to throw the ball and pile on the offense, especially when they establish the lead early. But then you'll, you'll see them switch to a run game and ultimately a much more conservative offense. couple more for you, Stephen. I'll get you out of here. Want to go deep in terms of the matchups here, and you know, for someone who covers this entire league, I, someone that I, I've really been intrigued by, and really hoping, you know, just for his sake, this is the year that he earns all conference honors, is and is not just an honorable mention. It's Bobby DeHaro. But when you look at UTEP as a whole, I believe it's a combined seventy-nine career starts between Bobby DeHaro, Andrew Meyer, and Elijah Klein. Can you just talk about that being the strength or seemingly the strength of the UTEP offensive line for FAU fans? I'm sure you'll be interested in that matchup going up against Jalen Joyner and 6'4", 360-pound nose tackle Evan Anderson. No doubt. I mean, the offensive line has been really the the lifeblood for the UTEP offense so far. Um, They've opened up holes for the running game. And when you talk about the run, you've got Deion Hankins, you've got Ronald Daywatt, you've got Ray Flores, who's becoming the jack-of-all-trades, can catch, can run out of the backfield. Um, and then, you know, Willie Eldridge, who hasn't really been used much over the last uh, five, six games. But you look at the time that they give Hardison, how they protect him, and ultimately the run game. I think that the offensive line has been huge. And you're right. You know, you have all those starts under your belt. Uh, those guys have been terrific all season long. And that's been a big, big factor for UTEP's offense doing what they've been able to do so far this season. So that is going to be a great matchup against uh, what's a very big defensive line. And, and UTEP really hasn't been pressured all that much offensively because they normally come out and, and, and start throwing early and establish their offense and they'll score on their first or second possession. And, and suddenly teams are starting to backtrack a little bit. So. I'm interested to see with the size and the ability that uh, FAU's defensive front has to offer how the uh, minor offensive line will handle the challenge on Saturday. Last matchup that I want to take a look at, again, I know FAU fans will definitely be interested, is the receiver matchup versus the secondary. As you've talked about, Jacob Cowing and Justin Garrett, arguably for the past two seasons, been, if not the top one-two tandem in CUSA you know, right there as far as the top three, you can probably make the argument that Vic Tucker and Grant DeBose in Charlotte 
uh, are in that category as well. But just wonder if you can talk about those two guys. Again, I know FAU fans will be very interested in the match against the FAU secondary, specifically against Zion Gilbert, who's a veteran corner senior. I believe it's his fifth year, uh, given the COVID eligibility rules. And Deshaun, or excuse me, Deshaun Moss, who uh, was starting, looks right now on the depth chart that a, a smoke mungeon out of Tampa, Florida, is going to get the start opposite of Zion Gilbert. But yeah, Steve, if you just talk about Justin Garrett and Jacob Cowing. I mean, they are the dynamic duo for UTEP. There's no doubt about it. And they've gone up against some great cornerbacks uh, all year long and some terrific secondaries, but they find ways to get open. And I don't think there is a better player in this league in the open field than Cowing. When he makes people miss, um, he is so much fun to watch. And he'll, he'll break big play after break the big play. He's done it uh, every week uh, so far this season. Uh, Garrett is that perfect complimentary guy. Has great hands, runs great routes. He's a money receiver. He'll make that big catch that can either get you in the end zone or set things up. So it's going to be a terrific matchup. And I'm interested in Flores because he he came into the season really fourth on the depth chart at running back. And what he's shown now is the ability to become a number three receiver. He's that guy that can catch out of the backfield but can line up on the outside. He's becoming a nice possession receiver. He has good hands, good ability. And, you know, he's he, we never saw this from Flores much. And now all of a sudden – He's kind of turning into that number three guy when the miners have wanted to use him uh, in that in that way the last couple of weeks. So yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. You know, UTEP is the kind of team that you know has that big playability throwing the ball. Hardison's arm combined with Cowing and and also Garrett, they're going to try to test the FAU secondary early and see what they can get with uh, that passing game. And and I think it's going to be just a terrific matchup. That's really interesting, Steve. You mentioned Reynaldo Flores, again, a former running back transition to receiver. One career start, but 36 career appearances. So definitely a veteran player there. Last but not least, Steve, going to get you out of here on this. As I mentioned, I let off with uh, Brooklyn born, but moved to El Paso. Just take me through that journey a little bit. You know, that had to be <laughs> pretty interesting. That's one of the questions I like to ask a lot of the players who end up down here in South Florida or from different parts of the nation. You know, kids who are from Indiana and Michigan and Ohio and then end up in Miami, which is such a unique place. And you can certainly say that about El Paso. So just talk about that a little bit, Steve. El Paso has been home for 43 years now. And I moved when I was a kid. Um, we lived actually in, in, in Long Island, even though I was born in Brooklyn, because both my parents were from Brooklyn, um, and my dad sold pens for Schaefer Pen Company because back in the 70s, Eric, uh, traveling pen salesmen were still a, a thing uh, in this, uh, you know, in the U.S. So we, we moved uh, in, in 78, and obviously uh, it was a culture shock coming from, uh, you know, New York to, uh, to El Paso. El Paso was much different uh, in the late 70s than it is today. Um, but it, it's so funny because, you know, my dad was a huge sports fan, uh, bought season tickets to UTEP basketball practically when we first moved here. So grew up a huge UTEP basketball fan and had a chance to watch those great teams in the eighties with guys like Tim Hardaway, Antonio Davis, Greg Foster, uh, and so many banners that they would hang from the Haskins center winning, uh, you know, whack championship after whack championship rooting against BYU in Utah, New Mexico. And that was kind of the big thing. So having the opportunity to go to school at, at University of Texas at Austin, come back home after college and get into broadcasting in, in 95 and, and do it all these years, 
really in a place where I grew up has just been phenomenal. Uh, still root for the uh, New York teams. I don't root for the good teams. I root for the losers because I like to torture myself, Eric. So um, I root for the, the Mets and the Jets, the two uh, teams that nobody roots for in New York for baseball and football. I root for the Knicks and the Rangers. And obviously, uh, you know, UTEP wanting to see them do well. So uh, it's interesting when it comes to my sports fandom. I, I have thought about this, and I'm almost 50 now. And in my lifetime, I've seen two New York championships for my teams that I root for. I saw the Mets in 86, and I've seen also the Rangers in 94. And other than that, those are the only two sports titles I've seen. And it doesn't seem fair, Eric, does it? I mean, especially since this has been my, my living for over 25 years of my life that I deserve better than this. So <laughs> the fact that I'm actually getting a chance to enjoy a, 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 a good Utah football season that hopefully has a chance to grow from here and and actually turn the minors around for the first time in 50-plus years into what we hope is a consistent winner in football would, would, would be really nice. And uh, it doesn't look like the uh, Mets or the Jets are going to turn things around anytime soon. <laughs> Listen, I will say this. As a native of Tampa, Florida, I certainly feel spoiled over the past few years with the level of success we've had. But again, as someone who grew up as not a Rays fan, but a Devil Rays fan, take it back that well and that far and the lightning and in, in as a you know an elementary school kid in the 90s, you know, having season tickets and watching very bad hockey. Um, I appreciate the success that we have now, but it, it when you hear stories like yours and talking about only you know witnessing two championships of the teams you root for, it, it definitely makes you appreciate the uh the wins a little bit more. And you know, hey, maybe UTEP can bring things around. I gotta be enjoying this success. One last thing before I get you out of here. I, I, I almost forgot this. How fired up are you personally and how fired up is El Paso as a whole with the seemingly real possibility of college game day coming to El Paso, especially for uh, you know, a community that's been through a lot over the past few years? What would that mean? There's a huge movement in this city to make it happen. A lot of the local TV sportscasters are talking up El Paso right now. Listen, I thought it was the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I said, there is no chance in hell that UTEP and El Paso would ever get a college game day. But then I started looking at the schedule next week. And other than A&M and Auburn, there's really nothing on the college football schedule that is appetizing right now for football fans. So, uh, let, you know, if UTEP goes and, and plays FAU tough and, Obviously, a win would be great, but even if they, they lose and it's competitive and close, um, I think the matchup is phenomenal. And, and you know, there's, these are two teams that historically are bad football programs and bad teams having great seasons. UTSA ranked. The Miners uh, currently undefeated in Conference USA. It's like the bizarre world of football fans right now. So, I, I, you know what? I think it's terrific. I hope it happens. Um, and, and I'll say this, you know, El Paso's had an interesting run the last few years. Um, you know, you look at what's happened since the Walmart shooting and as the city has really been able to recover. Uh, last year, El Paso won the Kraft Hockeyville contest and that allowed the local rink where the uh, junior amateur team plays to get $150,000 in rink improvements. The Dallas Stars and Phoenix Coyotes or the Arizona Coyotes played a an exhibition hockey game in El Paso a couple of weeks ago in front of about 2,000 fans, which was really a big deal here. So the city is doing great. Um, and you know what? With everything that El Paso has been going through the last couple of years uh, and how uh, the football program is right now at UTEP, it really would be uh, a fitting way to kind of reward uh, UTSA and UTEP for the season they're having if uh, we can get the ESPN game day crew to come to El Paso. And by the way, Lee Corso played in the game in 1957, played in the yeah. Sun, Bowl, Sun Bowl against Texas Western as a member of Florida State, um, got knocked out and sent to the hospital 
in the first quarter and his backup had to play the rest of the game while he was in the hospital. You know who that backup was? I have no idea. Burt Reynolds. How about that? Huh? How about so there that? you go. Burt Reynolds, who according to Lee Corso, they were too busy going to Juarez and partying uh, the night before the Sun Bowl and having a really good time in 1957. So, hey, if Corso comes to El Paso next Saturday, it's like he's come full circle and the show's come full circle having a chance to be there. So I'm really hoping it uh, becomes a reality for UTEP and for El Pasoans. Would absolutely be full circle. Absolutely a great story for Conference USA. Again, you can find his work at krod.com. He is a 2013 inductee of the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. Steve, appreciate you making the time, my man. Eric, really enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to doing it again with you down the road. Absolutely.